Hey everyone, welcome to chapter 9 of my Das Kapital Volume 1 book review. So firstly, we can start with just a general introduction, a quick review of what we've learned before. As we know, surplus value is the difference between the capital advanced, so that's the first C in the CMC equation, and the product, or the second C. And importantly, capital advanced, or the advanced capital, is just constant capital plus variable capital or the money spent for production. I'll use the phrase capital advanced, a relative amount in this episode and probably later, and that's what it means. Capital is of course made up of the purchase of the means of production, so that's constant capital, instruments of labor and other commodities, and the money spent on labor power, or variable capital, or wages. The equation we can get from this is the first capital C is constant capital plus variable capital, and then delta C, or the second C, the larger C, is C plus V, as we had before, plus S. So that difference, that S, is the surplus value. Importantly, in the equation for delta C, or the larger second C, we don't actually have to consider constant capital. This is, of course, because constant capital only transfers over. When trying to find that surplus, we only look at V equals V plus S. So part one, or the first general topic in relation to the chapter, relates to variable capital and its reproduction. Now Marx talks about this sort of logical problem we have in relation to constant and variable capital. It seems as if V, or variable capital, is a given in our equation. It's, it's essentially, you know, a constant quality. The C to delta C, capital to delta capital, is constant capital plus variable capital equals constant capital plus variable capital plus a surplus. Now, shouldn't V be variable? Isn't that by very definition? And yet, seemingly in our equation, it is just a logical constant. Why couldn't we cut out V as well as C? Because as I mentioned before, we can cut out the constant capital. Well, this is because V represents a constant process in production, so the cost of the wages, that is then replaced by living labor. Again, the difference between how these things are represented in the marketplace with C plus V equals C plus V plus S, and how these factors are combined in the active labor process, is that within the real labor process, the laborer produces the value of their wage and then some. Meaning that when we have, as we saw before, constant capital plus variable capital equals constant capital plus variable capital plus surplus, the second V is not a true constant. It is a amount of value that is reproduced by actual living labor. It doesn't transfer over. And this is unlike constant capital, which of course does just merely transfer over, as we were talking about before, with the value of the spindle and the cotton in yarn production. And we will get back to that example later on. And this distinction between how variable capital reproduces itself and how constant capital transfers over reveals a contradiction in the capitalist value form between the living labor process and its representation in the value equation. Because the way we're treating V, variable capital, it seems as if it works the same as constant capital. And as we will see later on, the capitalist only understands the labor process really through the value equation, because that's all they care about, which leads to some very grave misunderstandings of its relationship to the real living labor process, leading some to not realize that it's only V that increases itself. It's only the variable capital that adds more. Because of the variable nature of variable capital, that's why it's called variable, of course, where the laborer has to reproduce their wage through living labor, and then obviously produce some more surplus for the capitalist. Because of this, 
the amount of time that they actually spend working the labor is quite important. If there is no surplus value, if labor is simply reproducing its own value in terms of wages, if let's say a day's subsistence is, as we talked about before, six hours of socially necessary labor time, the laborer will still, on average, have to labor for six hours to reproduce their wage. If they do this, of course, there won't be any surplus value. So C plus V will just equal C plus V. There won't be an S. There won't be a surplus at the end. Living labor will simply reproduce itself to go to the laborer so that they can continue to survive. And regardless, even without surplus value, obviously, the laborer must work this amount of time. Let's assume here it's, again, six hours or half a day's of work so that the V on both sides of the equation are the same. C plus V equals C plus V. But again, notice, and why I'm bringing this up and why I'm talking about this is why we can't take the equality of V on both sides of this equation for granted. It doesn't carry over consistently like constant capital. It has to reproduce itself. So the next important thing in this chapter is the distinction between necessary and surplus labor. So the amount of labor required to produce the laborer's wage is referred to as the necessary labor time. And the labor expended during this period is necessary labor. As we talked about before, in the previous example I gave, that necessary labor time is, of course, six hours. The amount of time it takes for the laborer to reproduce their wage, to reproduce the value of V. This is, of course, necessary because this amount of time must happen in a capitalist social formation for the laborer to make subsistence, even if, you know, the laborer had no boss. There's a certain amount of value they have to produce to be able to receive so that they can buy the products they need to live another day. And therefore, this labor is, of course, also necessary for the capitalist because the worker's subsistence is necessary for their profits. You know, if all laborers are too poor to work, then the capitalists themselves can't make money. Think of it like a, a virus, uh, which is a perfect example for a capitalist. And I'm sure Marx would have appreciated this. The most successful type of virus does not kill their hosts at too large a rate. You know, think of the difference between Ebola and coronavirus. Because the very thing that the virus needs to survive, if they killed too many of them, would die. So, of course, the most efficient type of virus, if we look simply at just the ability to reproduce, would be something like the flu, not something like the Black Death, because the Black Death killed at too high a rate. But anyways, the other part of the working day, after variable capital is reproduced, after we have that necessary labor, is, of course, surplus labor time. And the labor expended here is unsurprisingly, surplus labor. Now, surplus value is essentially a congelation of surplus labor time. And importantly, if you don't know what that means, it is the same relationship that value has to labor time. You know, value is a congelation of labor time, as we talked about in the first chapter, socially necessary labor time. So the surplus labor time is the certain amount of hours, on average, that the laborer produces value that they do not legally own, that they do not receive. Now, briefly, I will bring back some terms I mentioned last week that we will go more in depth into later on, which is absolute and relative surplus value. Absolute surplus value is S. So as we talked about before, that's surplus. C plus V plus S. Now relative surplus value is instead the increase in the percentage of variable capital. So it's the relationship between S and V or S over V. The more that variable capital can valorize itself, can create more value proportionally, the more relative surplus value you have. So if I produce two times as much value for the capitalist than I get in terms of wages, my S over V would, let's say, be 2 over 1, or 200%. These two phrases, absolute surplus value, which is the total amount of surplus, and the relative surplus value, which is the amount of surplus per hour, essentially, are very important. 
And capitalists will try to increase both the total amounts of S and, of course, the amount of S they can get per hour quite a bit. Now, again, importantly, when we talk about surplus value, we are not calculating the constant capital invested because that constant capital is not creating value. Only variable capital valorizes itself, creates more value. Constant capital only transfers over. And this is importantly different than the rate of profit, where constant capital is related. But we'll get to that later in the episode. Now back to surplus and necessary labor. Surplus value has the same relation to variable capital, or to wages, that surplus labor has to necessary labor. What does that mean? Essentially, they have the same ratio. The surplus value divided by the wages, or by variable capital, is of course S over V, or the relative surplus value, and that is the same as the surplus labor time and the necessary labor time. As again, I, I made this connection before where I said that if you are producing twice as much surplus value than you are getting paid, you can calculate what percentage of the day you're laboring for yourself and for the reproduction of your own wage and what percentage of the day you're laboring for your boss. One is merely a measurement in value, so surplus value divided by wage, and the other is a measurement in labor time, so surplus labor divided by necessary labor. But again, as really goes back to the first chapter, you can compare the amount of value something produces to the socially necessary labor time. They have equivalent units. So of course we can compare the labor time that goes into an individual compared to their boss and the value produced that goes to the boss compared to the individual. And the rate of surplus value that is gotten is also essentially the rate of exploitation. This shouldn't be a surprise, of course. Now onto the rate of surplus value and the rate of profit. There is, of course, a distinction there that's important to get across. A crucial element of this distinction relates to the fact that surplus value, as I've talked about before, does not consider the cost of constant capital. It only considers variable capital and how much variable capital appreciates. Whereas, of course, profit does care about uh, advanced constant capital. And this might be confusing, and that's fair, but as an example, which, content warning, I will be using math, if the constant capital of a product is, let's say, $410, and the variable capital is 90, so the wage is $90, and the surplus is $90, let's assume this, the advanced capital would be $500. So constant capital plus variable capital, and the product would obviously sell for $590. That's all of the value together. Now, if we were to discover the profit here, we would do the surplus, which is the $90, divided by constant plus variable capital, or the surplus divided by the advanced capital. So 90 divided by you know 500 times 100 to get the percentage is 18%. In this situation, we would have a rate of profit of 18%. Now, the rate of surplus value, on the other hand, as we've gone over, is only S divided by V, because constant capital doesn't matter here. The rate of surplus value would then be 90 divided by 90, or 100%. Because again, we don't care about constant capital. The constant capital that carries over has nothing to do with the value produced by the labor. It's value produced by other laborers working on other products. All we care about is the surplus, the value produced, and the amount of money that is paid, or the wages. So the rate of surplus extraction in this example is 90 divided by 90, you know, times 100, or 100%. Now in this example, we have no clue how many hours a day the laborer works in a day, how many days they work in a week, how many laborers there are, etc. But because we know the rate of surplus value extraction, and because you know necessary and surplus 
labor have the same relationship as wages and surplus value, we can calculate how much the laborer works for themselves and how much they work for the boss in a day. And if it, the rate of extraction is 100%, as it is here, then half of the laborer's work is for the boss and half of it is for themselves. The necessary labor time is half of their labor and the other half is the surplus labor time. So in short, to find the rate of surplus value, you cancel out the constant capital and split the remainder into wages and surplus value and divide the surplus value by the wages. And now this is also important for the third volume of capital, which I won't go too into now, where Marx goes over how at a societal level, the rate of surplus value is inextricably linked to profit. But in individual industries, this sometimes varies. You know, some have less surplus value extraction, yet more profit, and vice versa. Now again, I think as I said before, in volume one, Marx is only really analyzing this or assuming it's at an industry level scale. So he is simplifying here and assuming that the rate of surplus extraction is necessarily connected to the rate of profit. But this is, again, only true at a you know, societal level and industry level scale. As an example, we can think of industries with large amounts of capital advanced and less labor, so less extraction of surplus value, tend to gain more profit than they extract surplus value. And this is what Marx refers to as capitalist communism, sort of a tongue-in-cheek uh, ironic phrase, you know, from each according to his ability to extract surplus value to each according to his capacity to advance capital. But that difference is not too important for now, just important to keep in the back of your head. But you can very essentially uh, make this type of calculation at your own job if you want, even if your own personal calculations might not be accurate because the rate of surplus value extraction is only really you know, consistently calculatable over very large aggregates. But I still think this example is useful to think about, especially in one's own relationship to their work, especially if you produce things and you get paid a wage for producing them. I'm going to use my example of a barista uh, instead of the one Marx uses, because I think it demonstrates generally the same thing that he wants to. Even if Marx is uh, calculating stuff on sort of larger uh, uh, weekly average profits in an entire firm, and I'm just using the sort of broader averages I could pull of an entire industry. I have to preface by saying there are some problems with the example I'm making, but I think they're relatively minor. And I think this might go a long way as an example to help radicalize people if you're in a job which, you know, produces things. And it's an example you can use and, and show to other people if you would like them to be radicalized as well. So, you know, let's think of a barista that makes $13 an hour. So, you know, minimum wage and then tips and makes, on average, is a number I could pull, 20 cups of coffee in an hour. A flavored double espresso latte costs about a dollar to make, let's say, and sells for $5, something like this. So in an hour of work, the advanced capital that we've talked about is C plus V, of course, or $20 plus 13. The $20 being a dollar per cup of coffee, and the $13, which is the wage. So the total advanced capital is $33. Now the surplus that we get is of course C plus V plus S. We can calculate this by knowing that of course the cup of coffee is worth $5 and the laborer makes 20 of them. So that's $100. So C plus V plus S equals $100. C plus V, obviously 20 plus 13. So basic algebra, the surplus value is 100 minus 33 equals 67. S is $67, the absolute surplus value. Now to find the rate of exploitation for this hypothetical barista, we would divide 67 by 13 and then times it by 100 to get the percent. And that is a 
515% rate of exploitation. According to this, only 19% of the time the barista works is for their own wage. Now, this is a vast oversimplification and doesn't take into consideration some elements of constant capital, and therefore the proportion of the surplus would likely be at least slightly smaller, considering things like the cost of rent and the cost of the machines breaking down, things that Marx is able to consider within his own example. But, but essentially what you need to know is that those costs are added to constant capital. But even if the constant capital in my example is double what I claim it is, so let's say it's $40 instead of $20, let's say we add, you know, again, the price of rent and the price of machines, the surplus value that we talked about for this hour is instead $47 instead of 67. Now let's calculate that 47 divided by 13 times 100 is still a rate of exploitation of 361%. So like very best case scenario here for a barista, 72% of your time would still be going into making money for your boss. Now importantly, surplus value does not only go to the industrial capitalist. It's split among many different people, profit, interest, rent, taxes. And this relates to how the different parts of the bourgeois class split the spoils of surplus value. But that's essentially relevant for here. What we're looking at is the proportion of value produced by labor that goes to one's wage compared to uh, going elsewhere. One of the Marxist critiques of neoclassical economics, or the general idea that price is determined by utility or the physical use of a commodity, relates to the calculation of value that we're analyzing here. This is sort of a final note to the episode. It is obvious to see how value is added in Marx, and we can analyze what parts of the production process add what parts to the value. And when these parts of production go down, so do the products more generally. But these different parts do not relate directly to the physical utility of the product. So if prices were related to utility, you would expect to see far less of a variable here. In our example of uh, 20 yards of yarn that I talked about last chapter and the chapter before, what physical proportion of the yarn is the $24 of constant capital transferred into? What other proportions are the variable value of the wages and the surplus value transferred into? The price of the yarn is not stored in the physical thing in virtue of it being a utility. It is stored in virtue of the products of the yarn having value, having socially necessary labor time. This is why we see massive price fluctuations in relation to, let's say, labor efficiency and the amount of time it takes to make a certain part of the labor process that have nothing to do with the actual utility of yarn. That'll conclude the main episode and the premium. I'll go over, I think, the last couple pages of the chapter. They're not unnecessary for an understanding, but I, they're obviously a supplemental bonus. And go over sort of Marx's critiques of uh, a certain bourgeois economists in relation to the relationship between a surplus value and wages as it relates to the full labor day. And this critique is actually aimed at an economist that I think very surprisingly uh, you might recognize today. So I'll go over that on the premium for $2 a month on patreon.com slash Thank you to ASDF, Corey, Jennifer, Please Don't Fire Us, and Sierra for supporting me on Patreon. And I think for next week or potentially the week after that, I'm going to put a temporary pause on the Capital Reading series and go into something that I'm finding very interesting in relation to the Hyperborea myth, which is an ancient Greek tale of this utopia beyond the northern boreal winds in which in which there is only virtue and, and the hubris involved in, in mankind is not present. And exactly why there are so many like right-wing Nazis and now neo-Nazis that are obsessed with the Hyperborea myth as this sort of 
fetishization of this pre-industrial, you know, quote-unquote Aryan utopia that is an ideal that we must return to, etc. Because I think it's a very fascinating subject. And that'll be a much larger episode um, that'll come out in the next, like, two weeks or so. So if I disappear on here for a bit longer than usual, that is why. And then I will probably, of course, go back to Capital Reading Series after that. But yeah, thank you all for tuning in, and I'll see you all then.